Thank you. It's caught me out. I was expecting at least another 20 minutes of things. Notices. Notices. We don't do notices. Goodness me, wash your mouth out. Right. Excellent. Well, for many of us, I suppose this time of year comes as a, a point of reflection. Some of us might be going to warmer places, although I'm not sure whether they'll be warmer, uh, but different places. And on our travels, and as we have perhaps more time than we do at other times of year, it's a good time to take stock and to reflect. What has God got for you in the next phase? What is it that he has for you in this coming year? Has he finished with you? It's kind of, well, that's it. That's a finished item now. I'm just going to concentrate on someone else. Or is there something else for you? I was asked that question the other day, and I found it a very difficult question to answer. I think partly because I hear it with the mindset of, well, it's got to be about stuff that I do. I hear it with the mindset, well, it must be another thing. Or it must be another sort of uh, area to look into. But you know, when God's got something on his agenda for us, it's often not about what we do, but about how we are. In fact, the Bible says far more about how we are than what we do. And so this is a, a chance to kind of reflect on that. And um, I know that this is a time for harvest, of, being, of seeing people connecting uh, with God, of people connecting with God who we may have written off, but God hasn't. This is a season of casting the net on the other side. This is a season of seeing things differently. And... Um, a few months ago, I, 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 I used these first two slides, so this is just a recap. I think that going, reaching out wider means getting deeper. Okay, I've said this before, so it's just a reminder. But whenever God challenges us to do more stuff out there, he wants us to do more stuff with him as well. It comes, it flows, it flows directly from him. And, and we can reach out because we reach up. Last week, Hugh Osgood was talking to us about sitting... Was that last week or week before? Week before, sorry. Last time Hugh Osgood was speaking to us, he was talking to us about sitting under, being people that sat under our own vine. That's, that talks about an intimacy with God that belongs to us. That, we're not, that God doesn't have spiritual grandparents. Uh, God isn't anyone's spiritual grandparent. He's only our father, we're no one else's children. We belong to him. And so I think this is a time where God wants us to, to know that. It's a time for maturity. But what is maturity? And I use this slide as well. So you're not going mad. Um, I believe God, this is a picture that I've seen and, and uh, it, I just, it spoke to me very powerfully you know, when we're looking at our lives, 
we can become very preoccupied with the bit that we can see. But God's much more interested in this 90% that no one else can see. And the stuff which he wants us to fix our eyes on is the stuff that is not seen. Because what's seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. When we pray to see healing in a situation, and God's healing comes, God's reminding us that despite what everything around us tells us, it's the unseen world that dominates. The reality in the unseen world is much more real than the real world that we see around us. Whenever God breaks through into our lives like that, that's what he's showing us. And the second verse I want us to think about is that in this context, when we're struggling with situations and processes that become hard work, we're not struggling with flesh and blood. So if my home becomes... Sorry, this is a hypothetical situation. If my home becomes sometimes um, hard work, my home is lovely, isn't it? They're all sitting together. Look at that. All three, three jakes in a row. Uh, uh, my home is lovely, but sometimes, you know, the our personalities, we kind of spark. doesn't happen in other people's houses, does it? And... And it becomes hard work. Now, my battle on that day may well feel like it's with one particular person who will remain nameless. Okay? However, when we're fighting for peace, our battle is very rarely against individuals. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And I know this is a big verse about big things. But this is a big verse about everyday things as well. So I am taking something which, where, where Paul is writing to the Ephesians about a, a world-impacting truth. But that world-impacting truth becomes world-impacting because of the influence it has on us in our daily lives, the way that we deal with people, and so on. Right. Good. So I'm not going to talk about that stuff for too long because that was the introduction. Excellent. Good. I want, to, I want to read you something from Ephesians 3. Okay, so Ephesians, Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesian church and he wrote these things. Um, he's giving them general and some more detailed instructions for how to live the Christian life. But before he does that, so that's in, verse, in chapters 4 and 6, but in, in verse 3 he prays for them. Um, and uh, I, want to, I want to start here today. So for this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father in heaven, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that passes knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Wow. 
it's a long sentence, but what, but what a prayer. What a prayer. You know, that's what Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. But you know, that's what, that's what we can expect for us. I'm going to spend a bit of time looking at what that means. But you know, what is so incredible is that Paul, having said that, goes on to say, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, if I had just written or just spoken a prayer like that first one, I'd think I'd ask for some pretty big things. And then he goes on to say, but actually God is able to do immeasurably more. So can God give us an answer to verses 14 to 19? Well, he can. And one day we will be so aware of this love that passes knowledge, that will be filled with the fullness of God. Who else does Paul say had the fullness of God in him? Jesus. Jesus. We are his body. We are his body, the body of Christ. Look at one another. Say, you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Each one of us is part of it. And each one of us can be filled with that measure. I haven't got it yet. But what, what, what we hear here in the Bible is that that is something that is a not unreasonable request. Well, actually, I suppose it is an unreasonable request. But it's okay to be unreasonable with God. Because when we ask for things, he's able to do immeasurably more than we can imagine, ask or think. So I want to look at at this particular phrase that I've picked out from that very long verse, a very long extract, which is to be rooted and established in love. There are many things we can put our supply into, okay? Um, And and what what this verse is talking about is that the origin of our maturity comes from where we're rooted, comes from that source of supply that God has for us. I might be trying to do things to please him. I might be trying to do things out of ambition. I might be doing things because I'm afraid of the consequences if I don't. I might be doing things to, to, to find significance. I might be doing things because I'm wired for achievement. But actually, God's desire, his enabling comes from love. There is no other there is no other thing. So how can I tell if I really am being rooted and established on love, in love? You see, 
It's so important in everything we do, that is the driver. Whether it is the way that I, uh, whether I put the chairs out in the room, whether I, the way I deal with my finances, the way I, I uh, the way that I study the word, the way that I speak to my family. If it's not coming out of love, then that's, that's less than what God desires. So I'm going to take each of those things. Roots. Okay, um, oh, sorry. No, I'm not. I I skipped. Sorry. First of all, yeah, so it sounds a bit too good to be true. Um, Yeah. I think the mouse is uh, probably, probably, if mice could read, that would be quite cruel, wouldn't it? On the other hand, if the mouse was in my kitchen, it's a sensible thing. You know, most of us believe that if something is too good to be true, it probably is. Um, and this total and unconditional love that God has for us, well, it, it can seem like that. Um, and, and that means that we can hold on to, to bits of ourselves and not completely surrender ourselves to him. But it is true. Paul writes... It's, it's rare indeed for anyone to die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God proves, it's an interesting word that, proves, demonstrates beyond reasonable doubt his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if we're fearful of trusting, if we're fearful of letting go, then we have, to come, we have to be impacted by that love that God has for us. You know, God sees us. He sees us on our good days. He sees us on our bad days. And he loves us. He loves you. And he loves me so much that he saw our state and couldn't leave us where we were. So, roots. Roots are radical things. Um, the word radical comes from root. A radish. You know what radish is? Yeah, a radical. If you're, if you're, if you're rooted into... What is a radish? Owen, test. It's a kind of vegetable. Where does it grow? Underground, well done. Sorry, I'm just picking on names. We have, a, have to extend a word a day for Owen sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, I mustn't cut off my nose to spite my face. No, that's not a good use of that word, is it? But Owen hadn't heard of that phrase. The interpreters are going to have fun with that one, aren't they? I'll just, just move on. Sorry, just move on. Sorry, I'm just... Sorry, sorry, sorry. Do, do you mind? I just I got distracted. <sighs> Radical. We talk a lot about being radical. The word radical comes from root. The origin, the origin of our actions is what makes us radical. It's not just the action itself, it's the origin. And 
when, when God designed plants and he gave them roots, he gave them these purposes. They basically, they take in minerals and water from the ground. They hold the plant in place. Look at that tree growing on that cliff face. Um, they store plants sometimes. So things like carrots and potatoes and radishes. You know, th those are things that grow underground. And we eat them because they have a food store in them. Uh, and they can prevent soil from washing away. That's, that's science, not the Bible. Um, I'm not, do you know a little bit of fascinating facts, okay? Big, tall tree, most trees, their roots only go 18 inches into the ground. More than half of their roots are in the top six inches of the soil. But the mature oak has roots that are hundreds of miles long in total. Trees can go up to six metres below the surface, but most of their roots are in that surface bit. I just thought that was just fun. A hundred miles of roots to hold up the tree. Now, the roots that we put into, into God are what generate our faith. And if you put bits of celery into different coloured water, you get different coloured bits of celery. And that's because the roots uh, take up colouring from the, from the underneath. And you can do this experiment at home, guys. Um, plants are changed by what they take in from their, from their roots. We're changed by what we take in from our roots. Uh, the desire that we have to be changed comes from him. You know, uh, roots hold a plant in place. Um, that means they can grow in ridiculous places. Um, they can withstand winds. Um, God's put you in a place in the world. God's desire is that you should blossom where you're planted. It's a little phrase that we've used. Um, and we can do that because we've got roots. There's nowhere that we can't grow. It amuses me that as I drive to school, some of you will know what my school looks like, uh, there's this big tower at the front and there's a and the trees have been going a bit crazy. And there's an oak tree growing out of the top, the very top of our tower at the moment, which I think someone's going to have to dig out at some point. Trees will, if you left, is it Chernobyl? I think Chernobyl was where there was a big uh, nuclear disaster, some of you will remember. Others of you are far too young. Um, and they moved out. They had to move out. If you go back to Chernobyl now, it's a massive nature reserve. Plants are growing everywhere, everywhere, all over the concrete, all over everything. Um, roots can make you grow in the most inhospitable places. And because we have our roots in him, he enables you to grow where you are. Okay, so I, I believe that's something that, that God said to me about this. I believe that God wants to tell you that you can grow where you are. Now, if you look at how a plant grows, the first thing it does is it puts down a root and everything else comes from them. And I think that's the same for us. The first thing we need is to put our roots into him. Everything else follows. So we're rooted and established in love. Okay. Now, the word for established is the same word that's used in a few other places in the Bible. 
Paul uses it in, the, in his letter to Colossians, where he talks about the, their faith being uh, firmly established and steadfast. In Hebrews, um, it, it talks about when God laid the foundation of the earth. Okay, so established, it actually got the word of foundation. So it's a, but it's a building metaphor. So where the root was a plant and growing, this is about a building thing. Um, Jesus uses it in Matthew 7. And um, in the story of, see if you can work out the story. So Jesus used the word when he was talking about the wise and foolish builders, those that built their house on the sand and those that built their house on the rock. And he talks about this because although the houses look the same, uh, the apparent the difference comes when, when trouble comes. And it's the same for us. Our, Jesus said, you must build on, on my words. Yeah? But what were his words? His words, his words were to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, and to love your neighbour as yourself. So, so what we need to do is we need to make sure that that's what we're building on. And um, here's the thing. Two things can look the same, but they're not the same. Okay, I've got a question for you. What's this? Get, take it. Orange juice, yeah? Yeah? No. No. This is orange juice. This... Is orange juice drink contains 30% orange juice, 70% sugar and water, and citric acid, and various other nasty things that they put in there. Two things can look the same. I was just thinking about it this morning. I was thinking, the thing is, it's the same for us. We can be doing things that look the same, but actually, when you taste it, you know it's not the same. And I believe that God wants us to use this time to sort of just chew over what, what is it? How is it I'm building? 
So rooted and established in love. Our relationship with God is based on his sacrificial love for us. Um, He gave himself away to win us and make a way back for us. Um, We've been singing a song uh, whose title is Reckless Love. And uh, I've had a few discussions with a few people uh, about it, and I've decided I'll I'll just, I'll I'll, I'll explain um, what the author says about it, because I think it's helpful. See, I have a bit of a a thing. I don't think God's reckless. But actually, that's not what the songwriter was saying. Um, God's, if someone's reckless, they take actions that they don't know the cost of. They haven't thought it through. So I might take a massive risk. I might be down to my last hundred quid and think, uh, I'm going to put it all on that horse because that way I will pay for my mortgage in one go. And then uh, that's a kind of reckless action because probably it's not going to work and probably, well, probably, definitely it's not going to work if it's me putting money on the horse. Um, you know, that would be a kind of reckless thing. Or I might be driving far too fast around a corner or something like that. That would be a reckless thing to do. But in another way, the way that God loves is reckless. In the sense that if in the story of the, of the hundred sheep and one goes astray, we hear that the shepherd leaves 99 to go and get the one. Well, that's always, has, I don't know about you, but I always think that's a bit of a strange thing for God to do. If I'm with God, I would probably, you know, I'd be more worried about my 99. Um, and so, Corey Ashbury, who's the, the, um, the, the writer, says, when I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am saying, however, that the way he loves us, in many regards, is quite so. What I mean is this, he's utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regards to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike. His his love bankrupted heaven for you. His love doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. It doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back and offer ourselves in return. So my argument with the song is all about, was, was all about whether God's reckless. And I think, I think I can see that God isn't reckless. God understands the cost. But he doesn't know, because we've got choice, whether we're going to turn back to him. And in a sense, that is reckless for his own, his own safety, isn't it? So um, if we're to develop as, as his followers, we need to have a growing understanding of his love for us so that love can, his love can be shown through us. And if we don't have that foundational love, then our development is stunted. Okay. So, okay, I just want to... Oh, I kind of need five minutes more. Does that sound all right? Might, might, yeah. might, might stretch a little bit longer. I hope that would just pause that on the tape. Anyway, good. Okay, okay. So we've got this thing called love, and we know this is important. Okay, so the church in Ephesus is one of a, one of a few churches that Jesus sent 
notes to in a vision to a guy called John when he was on uh, the Isle of Patmos, uh, which is a Greek island, which some of you may be, you know. I don't think he was on holiday. He was, he was in a trance, and God spoke to him. And, um, and this, is what, this is what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. So this is about 40 years later. Now, 40 years, 40 years ago, um, we are in what year? 2018. So 40 years later, earlier was 1978, because I wouldn't remember then. But yeah, 1978. Uh, 1978. So some of you weren't born in 1978. This church 40 years ago looked very different. This church, Ephesus, has moved on 40 years. Paul has prayed that prayer over them. They've had, their, they've had their fights. They've had their squabbles. And Jesus says this. Um, okay. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and perseverance. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So far, it feels like Jesus is saying, well done, guys. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, I think this is really interesting because the people in Ephesus, I think, I think their walk with, with God is similar to mine and perhaps to yours. That The thing that God's keeping needing to remind us about is it's not about the stuff we're doing, but it's about the root, it's the driver, it's the... It's the uh, motivation. And you know, I think God wants to bring us back to this place of our first love. What does the word first or the love you had at first mean there? Well, again, like root, it's the thing that happens first. It's the thing from which other things come. It's protos. The Greek word is protos. It's the thing that comes first. The, it it comes ahead of other things. It comes ahead of other things in importance as well as in time. And the thing is, it generates more. Because he forgives and accepts without reservation, this love, his love, lasts forever. This first love is his love for us. I believe. And we have to live in an increasing awareness of that. It is his love and acceptance of me is one of my biggest battles. That God actually accepts me, that God actually loves me, is one of my biggest battles. But if I don't know that, really know that, I can never be mature. 
I'm constantly looking around for how to get approval, how to keep people happy, how to earn my place, like the older son. But God wants us to know that we're loved and accepted completely. So this love that we had at first was not immature. It's not some kind of infatuation that you might have in some kind of earthly relationship. It's not like, you know, I had a new phone recently, uh, and I got very excited about it and used it quite a lot. But that isn't what our love for God is. When when we first met him, to a certain extent, there there is an amazing joy at finding that. But you know, God wants us to find something that lasts longer. Um, and it's not just how we, it's not just how we feel. So here's some things. Why do we forget our first love? I think that things, there can be many things, and for different people, it's different things. Um, If you have given yourself to something else, position, status, reputation, popularity, rather than knowing that you are accepted and loved and forgiven by him, such that all of those other things, they just pale into the background, then I think that's being unfaithful. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, it didn't leave a lot of space for making sure you keep up appearances. Giving a landing place to the enemy because you listen to lies. Now we can hear lies and we can listen to them. They're different. That's different. Right? Sometimes I can be in a situation and a thought can occur to me and it's not a helpful thought and I can, I can basically, I can allow that thought's airtime or I can push it, I can use my spirit to push it away. And I believe that there are times when we have to do that. We can become familiar with the story But my goodness me, Lord, never let me get familiar that I'm not surprised at what you've done. We can be distracted. Perhaps we have urgent things. The distraction of the urgent over the important. Disillusionment. Uh, Or maybe past hurts. People have let you down or you feel like God's let you down in something. He never does. But sometimes from where we're standing, it feels like what we were expecting to happen hasn't happened. So my question for you is, you know, today, as I'm approaching the silly season, as Nathan put it, am I approaching this silly season, a time of holidays and rest perhaps for some, Am I loving God today more than I ever have? What's my a bank account like for 
loving others? Am I more giving than I've ever been? Is my love for him and for others increasing? Here's something I read about it. The paradise of first love is a seed that needs to be cultured and allowed to grow. The emotion may fade, but the relationship can and must grow in intimacy. Our emotions, our feelings can change, but the confident relationship must grow. So, Jesus' advice is, is clear that if we've gone the wrong way, we need to repent and do the things that we did at first. You know, the thoughts that occur to you, oh, I'm too busy to do that. I can't make, I can't make that connection. Uh, I haven't time. They wouldn't be interested. I'd just be getting in their way. They're too busy to connect. Oh, it's really hard over the summer to connect with people because they're probably on holiday, so I I probably won't bother. I'll probably just live in my cave in Patmos and and, uh, see, see what Jesus tells me. Well, that would be great, absolutely great, but I believe that God wants more for us in terms of community. No one understands me. Well, that's also perennial nightmare of a teacher but nobody understands me in in other ways as well so repenting and doing the things that we do at first means making a decision and walking it out daily taking captive thoughts and moving into uh, a new position with him I want to use a song um, and uh, we can use this to just as our part of our response. Um, it's Lord, I need you. So I just need to skip a few slides. Hang on a minute. Just one moment. I think this should work perfectly. Did excellent. So anybody thirsty? I thought that was a question to which there would only be one answer today. But is anyone thirsty? I don't just mean for water. I believe that God wants to give us a holy day season. A season where we're closer to him than we've ever been. There may not be so many of us here today, but that's okay. Because you're the ones who God wanted to hear this message. I don't think... It's an accident. So this is a song uh, which is based on a hymn, but it is actually a modern song. Uh, Lord, I need you.
without you I fall apart You're the one that guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every hour I need you We can think that knowing that God loves us is something so basic, so basic, that it's something you learnt when you were so young that perhaps it's almost not worth visiting. But the reality is that knowing this, really knowing this, and really believing in it is what makes us mature. It's so difficult... That to counter that, what our fallen hearts fear, that it takes the supernatural power of God. It takes the Holy Spirit to make it stick in our hearts. So what I want to do is to pray that, like this has just said, I need you, Lord, that this would be our prayer together. That, Lord, we would... Be praying that every hour we need you, Lord, 
Teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay, my hope and my anchor. Let's, let's just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we stand loved before you. Thank you, Lord, that your heart to us is to, is to bless us. And at this time, Lord, I ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we would raise our expectations, that we would go deeper into you, that we might reach further out. You're our hope and our stay, our hope and our anchor. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.